I said, I can feel my contractions again. And the anesthetist, she learned of this news and she told the surgeon he needed to uh, push his final tap for her. And the doctor surgeon looked at her and said, we don't have any time, we need to get this baby out. This is the Curious Neuron Podcast, where we take a compassionate approach to science-based parenting. Join us as we break down the science of child development and parenting into digestible and applicable advice. Welcome. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Dr. Cindy Hovington. I am your host. And later on, I will be joined by my co-host, Dr. Marion Van Horn. We both have um, PhDs in neuroscience and are moms of three. And the goal of this whole podcast is to bring the science to you by speaking with experts and researchers who could help us understand the science. And this season, in season three, I want to introduce a new series. And that's what we are doing today. This series is called Am I the Only One? And it's an extension of something that I started a while ago on Instagram. If you aren't following Curious Neuron, you could head on to, over to Instagram and um, type in the handle curious underscore neuron. And what I do is on Sundays, I put up a question box and parents have to fill out the question box by filling out the blank. Am I the only one that... And perhaps you feel like you're the only one who is having trouble during your pregnancy. Or perhaps you feel like you're the only one who um, has a toddler who's having tantrums. If you do feel this way, then this is where you can post um, how you feel. And I take each question and then repost it into my stories and add a poll question or a poll option. This way, people can vote and you could see that more often than not, or actually every single time, there are there are other people that are experiencing the same thing that you are. The reason why I did this is because the feeling of loneliness was something that I had experienced myself as a new parent. And sometimes um, when I had these mom groups and I would just go there to chat, you would connect with other people by realizing that Others are going through the same thing you are. And and when we're home alone or we're home with our child, we might feel like they're the only one crying at night, you know, at some point. Um, like one of my kids would be up at um, 3 a.m. and be up for two hours. And they did this for a really long time. And just by sharing this with somebody, sometimes they say, yeah, I'm going through the same thing. And you kind of have like that sigh of relief of like, ah, okay, so I'm not doing something wrong. This is normal. This is part of, you know, other children's lives and other parents' lives. And I wanted to take that experience and bring it to social media because, you know, in the past year and a half, a lot of parents haven't had that opportunity to go out and to share these things with people. So I wanted to try to bring this to Instagram. This series did really well. And now I was trying to figure out a way to bring this even or, you know, bring this to the next level. And I decided to reach out to parents who are part of the Instagram community and asked who wanted to join me on the podcast to share their story. And today we are going to listen to the story of Catherine and Christine, who both experienced a type of trauma. Um, Catherine experienced it during birth or during delivery and Christine experienced it before during her pregnancy 
And I think it's important that we listen to these parents' views and stories because they have a lot of knowledge and information to share with us. And we might uh, learn that we're not the only ones experiencing something and feel seen from this. Um, I truly um, tip my hat to the people, to Christine and Catherine, and I've interviewed a few more now, who are sharing their story with us because I know that it's not easy. It's not easy to be opened. It's not easy to be vulnerable and to share stories sometimes. But these are truly brave parents who are taking the time to join us here and to speak to you um, about their experience. I will have a page up on my website for this episode and you could um, comment in the question in the in the comment section of for this podcast episode and share your story or send them messages. Um, I will also have on my website for this um, episode a, a list of articles that talk about trauma, um, birthing trauma and trauma with moms um, that you could probably learn from or help inform you even more. I found this really interesting article called Birth Trauma in the Journal of Nursing Research from 2004. If you head on over to the Kirsten website at kirsten.com, click on episode 35 of the podcast, you'll see the link to the full article. Um, and what they did is they interviewed 40 moms and um, 40 moms who had experienced birthing trauma and found that there were different themes that emerged. In addition to that, they created a list of birth traumas and it includes um, stillbirth or infant death, emergency cesarean delivery, um, cardiac arrest, inadequate medical care, fear of epidural, congenital anomalies, inadequate pain relief, postpartum hemorrhaging, forceps, vacuum extraction or skull fracture, severe toxemia, premature birth, separation from infant in NICU, prolonged painful labor, rapid delivery, and degrading experience. In addition to this list of birth traumas, they were able to create these um, categories or these themes. And the first one was to take care of me. Uh, and this is when uh, a mom felt that um, she was not really taken care of during the birthing experience. An example of this is a story from a mom who says that during her um, labor, she was vomiting and shaking, not really handling the contractions very well, and doctors and nurses never reassured her or explained what was happening. The second theme was communication, where um, moms feel that they're not um, receiving the type of communication that will help inform them or understand what is going on in terms of any procedure. The third theme is providing safe care, where some moms felt that even though they trusted the medical team around them, they did not feel safe during the delivery. And that they also felt that their um, PTSD after the delivery was caused by feelings of powerlessness and loss of control of what people did to their body during the delivery. The final theme that emerged was the end justifies the mean. So of course we want the baby to come out, you know, healthy. And the issue with this is that sometimes moms have to experience things that will lead to PTSD and trauma. And when they expressed this to the medical team, they uh, were told, well, you should be happy that the baby is fine. There's an example from this study where a mom did not want to have an epidural because she was afraid of the needle and ended up having one and the needle hit a nerve in her back. And although this procedure 
you know, led to a healthy delivery, this particular situation did cause trauma in the mom, but it's almost minimized. Actually, it is minimized, and this could lead to PTSD. I think that we need to discuss, you know, our experiences a little bit more um, openly because there might be other moms out there who have experienced birth trauma but don't want to share it with others. And it's not only about allowing everybody to share their experience, but it's about us on the receiving end of somebody's story not allowing them to feel that they are inadequate or that they failed at anything, just listening to them, allowing them to express their emotions and to have a safe space to share this, I think is really important. And and I've recorded a few of these Am I the Only One episodes now for this podcast. And that has been the emerging theme where a lot of parents feel that A lot of times when they're sharing their story with somebody else, the person either wants to fix the problem, wants to tell them everything will be fine, or don't worry about whatever happened, you're okay now, or the baby's okay. And I think that, uh, you know, the lesson I'm learning from these conversations we're having is that we need to listen and to create a safe space for people to share their experience and to just listen and allow their emotions to be and allow our emotions to be as well. So that's something that I've been learning. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Am I the Only One? If you are enjoying the Curious Non podcast and you enjoyed this episode as well, please take a moment to rate the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. We really do appreciate it when you leave a review. And I'd like to thank the new people that left a review last week or the week before, uh, Silaniti which I uh, know that she's from Montreal because she said that she enjoys hearing a familiar voice. (laughs) Um, Also, I'd like to thank Canadian Girl 5 for leaving a podcast, Rain99T, and Ariel D. Thank you so much for taking the time to write a review on iTunes. Before we move on to today's interview, I'd like to warn you that there might be some triggers for some of you listening, there are some difficult moments in the conversation that we had today with Catherine and Christine and just wanted to give you a heads up that um, if you have experienced birth trauma, um, this might be a difficult episode to listen to. If you do have a story that you would like to share, I invite both moms and dads to contact me at info at and if your story is one that would... Um, help others feel seen, I would love to have the conversation with you. I'd also like to remind everyone that we have family meetings on the first Monday of every month. And what this is, is a free parenting support group. And you can visit our website, curiousnone.com and click on free resources and then click on family meetings. You could register by signing up and you'll get the Zoom link. If you are unable to join the live webinar at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time next Monday, you could watch the replay on YouTube. We have a new YouTube channel where I'll be posting little videos. I posted some interviews that I had from past family meetings, as well as my interview from the last podcast episode with Justin Baldoni. You can watch it on our YouTube channel. And if you're enjoying the information that you're learning from Curious Neuron, but having trouble applying it within your home and want to know how you could understand your parenting style, how you could understand your child's development and social emotional skills, as well as linking play to their cognitive development, you could book a coaching call with me. You could visit curiousneuron.com and click on services 
and schedule an appointment with me where I can work with you one-on-one and work through these challenges that you might be having as a parent. And if you do prefer courses and programs, we have the Curious John Academy now that is live. I have two of the four programs that are up. I have the Parent Play Camp that is up that summarizes all the research around play and cognition so that you can understand how to use not just toys, but a lot of objects that you have within your home um, and use those as toys to help support your child's development. Then that program is for you. Or if you would like to work through your past and how you were parented and understand which parenting style would be best for your child to work on your relationship with your child, we have a program called Better Me, Better Parent. Again, you could visit kirstown.com, click on services and then on coaching or on the academy. All right, that's it for today. <laughs> Let's move on to today's episode. I hope you enjoy our very first Am I the Only One episode with Christine and Catherine. Welcome back to the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy and I'm here with my co-host Marion. And today we are um, taking a different approach to our interviews and our guests. We are here with two moms. We are here with Christine and Catherine. And we are going to talk about birthing experiences and when a birth doesn't exactly go in the way that you imagined it. And um, to the point of, you know, being psychologically traumatic for some parents, um, I think this is an, um, a conversation that we need to have a little bit more often because I don't know about you guys, but from what I hear from parents is sometimes we're alone in, in, in thoughts that we have and experiences that we have as parents, which is why I wanted to have to extend, you know, am I the only one from from Instagram to this podcast so that we can continue having these difficult conversations. So I thank you both for um for coming on today and for sharing your experience because I know it'll help so many other moms out there. So how about we begin? Um, we can start with you, Catherine, if you'd like um, I to, to hear about your journey and, and your birthing experience. Sure. So um, I had my son let's see, 14 months ago uh, now, and I was definitely one of those mothers who was uh, aspiring to have a natural birth. Um, I do feel like my I find myself uh, up for a challenge so I was uh, kind of moving in that direction researching natural uh, labor and delivery all of that kind of getting uh, mentally ready and prepared uh, to have that sort of birth experience Um, and when it came to my due date um, that is long story short not at all what happened (laughs) Um, I labored for about a total of 36 hours so the first six hours, um, I thought, since it's my first pregnancy, uh, this feels different. Let's go to the hospital. Um, they said I was only a centimeter dilated, so they sent me home. Um, I had a doctor's appointment that morning for my 40-week appointment, and my uh, doctor did say, yes, you're only one centimeter. I wouldn't be surprised if I see you back at the hospital within the next 12 hours. Um, so I spent the next 16 hours at my home laboring. Um, Pretty a pretty excruciating labor, but nothing to the point where they told me I need to come back. So they said, come back if your water breaks, come back if your contractions are, you know, five minutes apart for this mom. Um, I never got there until about four in the morning, the following morning, so this is 24 hours after I had first experienced contractions. Um, so finally got to the point where I felt like 
this is excruciating enough. I feel like this is much different than a day ago. Let's go back to the hospital. So my husband drove me there. Um, and they submit me to triage. Of course, this is kind of right in the middle of COVID. Um, so my husband couldn't be there in triage. They sent me up. Um, they had to monitor me for an hour. They said, you're five centimeters dilated now, but we need to keep you here and monitor you to make sure you're progressing. To which I was like, oh, great. This is going to be fun. Um, I'm going to be here for another hour. No, no support next to me. Uh, so I was just like, let's buckle down and do it. Luckily, they did come back and said, you are six, six centimeters now. Um, we can take you to labor and delivery. Uh, this was all during shift change, so everything took so much longer. Um, it took me a long time to get an IV in. It took me a long time to get to the room. Miscommunication with my husband of when he could come up. Um, at this point, I absolutely wanted an epidural. I had been in labor for more than 24 hours, so I said, yes, please give me an epidural. Um, shift change was happening with the anesthetist. Uh, so finally, I get an epidural, and I take a sigh of relief. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, here we are. Um, and again, I was definitely the kind of person who said, I'm going to have a natural birth. I'm totally going to buckle down and bear through it. Um, but I do think that uh, the epidural is uh, God-given <laughs> if, you, if you choose to go that direction. Um, so I had an epidural. I took a nap. Everything felt great. Uh, my nurse was wonderful, Nurse Daniel. And he's like, this is great. You look great. Uh, I imagine you're going to push this baby out by noon. It was about 8 o'clock in the morning at that point. Um, that day I didn't, uh, progress hardly at all. Um, they, I still had my epidural. It was about two o'clock and they said, okay, we need to break your water because it hasn't broken yet on its own. So they mainly broke my water. Um, and I don't know if anybody knows what that looks like or is experienced, but it's basically like a long plastic knitting needle that they put up there and break the water. So we did that and they said, okay, now we're going to, um, push a very micro dose of Pitocin, um, and which they did ask uh, beforehand. They said, we believe this is the best approach that we do to speed up your labor. Um, and they asked my opinion, are you okay with that? So I said, yes. At that point, I had been, it had been so long since the start of this. I was like, please do whatever you can. I would like to have this baby. Uh, At this point, was your, hus was your husband allowed in yet? Or? Right about 7.30 yeah. to right when the anesthetist was giving me an epidural, he was allowed in. Um, but there was a miscommunication with the front desk and the labor delivery room, shift change. So it took about two hours for me to re him to reconnect with me from getting to the hospital and then getting back in the room. So that alone, that two hours was really intense for me because I was basically left alone in a, in a room um, enduring labor. This was pre-epidural. Um, and I, I have a lot of people asking, you know, what do contractions feel like? Those moms who haven't. And I said, I, there's really no way to describe it. In my sense, it's like, a glorified period pains, I would say, but on steroids. <laughs> uh, so I was experiencing that alone. My husband finally came up. Um, but yeah, after I got the epidural, they pushed a little bit of Pitocin. Um, after that first Pitocin push about 45 minutes after uh, my son's heart rate dropped um, while he was while I was in labor so I could tell from the nurse's kind of demeanor changed a little bit he started flipping me you know one side to the other side to see if it was a, a matter of pressure um, on where, wherever he was in the birth canal uh, flipping back and forth uh, finally it went back up so we had a sigh of relief okay 
they said they would back off on the Pitocin. They would give my body some time um, to just, you know, naturally let's see if we can get move forward um, without that. So they let it go another two hours. I didn't dilate anymore. I think at this point I was around seven. So I'd come in at five. This was now, I would say, 30 hours into it. Um, I've been told that epidurals slow down your labor, um, which I think could have been a possibility. But again, I wouldn't, if I had gone back, I wouldn't have changed anything. I wouldn't have refused the epidural, um, even knowing that, um, just because of the, the pain that I was in at that point. And I felt it was the right decision. Um, so the time went by about two hours. I said, okay, we're going to push half as much Pitocin. So before it was a very small amount. They said, we'll do half as much as we did before. Um, they gave me the Pitocin. Again, about 30 to 45 minutes later, my son's heart rate dropped again. Um, at this point, the nurse called in uh, the midwife and the doctor um, and, to try to get me to push. And I was about eight centimeters at this point. Um, and they said, we basically, we need to get him out because his heart rate's still down and that can do a lot of damage to his heart the longer that it's down. Um, so again, flipped side to side. I was pushing at this point, but they said I wasn't dilated enough um, to so his head could make it through. Um, and then all of a sudden his heart rate came back up. So his heart rate was down for seven minutes the second time, um, very, very low. So at that point, my nurse said, we're going to call in your surgeon and you can discuss with your husband right now if you would like to, you know, have a C-section. The, the surgeon might, you know, give his opinion otherwise, but talk together with you and your husband and make a decision if this is something you want to do. So my husband and I did decide, yes, we're going to do whatever the surgeon says, the best route. Um, and he came in. We didn't want, you know, another that to happen again. Luckily, the surgeon came in. Kind of not a conversation. He said, we're going to do a C-section. The, uh, the fact that his heart was down for seven minutes could be serious. It could have left some, you know, cause some damage. So we need to get him out if it happens, before it happens again. So at this point, it's sort of a, a sigh of relief for us. Like, okay, this is happening where he's finally going to come out. It's been so long, you know, like, let's just get the ball rolling. And as they wheeled me to the um, OR, this is probably maybe the most tra traumatic part of my experience was as they were wheeling me to the OR, I told them my epidural was wearing off. And I've talked to other moms about epidurals and they say this does happen. Epidurals wear off, they re-up the dose. Um, and at this point I had an epidural for about 10 hours in me. And I said, my epidural, so I told them my epidural is wearing off. And they said, what do you mean? I said, I can feel my contractions again. And the anesthetist, as I was being rolled in, she learned of this news and she told the surgeon we need to uh, push a spinal tap for her and the doctor surgeon looked at her and said we don't have any time we need to get this baby out so at that point i'm laying on the table and they said okay well we're going to turn your body uh we're going to tilt the table and try to get the epidural to flow to your left side because that's where i could feel my contractions now um and they were really very much in a rush to get uh, my son out and they said from the the moment we start prepping you, by the time he's out, will be like five minutes. Um, so at this point, I'm laying on the table. They finally did bring my husband back into the OR. Um, they kept applying pressure to where they were going to cut for the C-section, kept asking me, can you feel it? And I said, yes, I can feel that. Yes, I can feel that. And they said, well, we don't have any time anymore. We need to get your son out. 
So we were just, we're just going to knock you out. Um, we're going to put IV or drugs in your IV um, if it's, the pain is too much. So that, so they began cutting and I felt every single cut. Uh, I felt the three consecutive cuts. Um, I just remember at this point yelling on the table. My husband's sitting next to me and yelling. Uh, the anesthetist is standing next to me and she says, we're putting drugs in your IV to help with the pain. And the surgeon is talking to me the entire time, kind of telling me basically step by step what he's doing. Okay, Catherine, you know, this is what I'm doing now. Okay, it's going to be 30 seconds. We're going to get um, your son out. It's going to be 15 seconds. I remember the midwife or his uh, nurse saying, okay, we're going to push on your belly. There's going to be a lot of pressure. Um, feeling everything the entire time. Uh, I felt them pull my son out. I saw it. He felt like he was five feet tall. Uh, wiggle him out, <laughs> um, held him up. I, I vividly remember seeing him hold him up and then I passed out. Um, they said they had given me like a, a mixture of four or five different drugs in my IV um, to help the pain and to basically knock me out. So uh, not entirely sure if I, uh, you know, was knocked out from pain or from drugs or from both, uh, probably a mixture of both. Um, from there, I had a very much... Uh, like I was going to heaven moment. I saw, um, you know, I saw pink lights. I saw oscillating images in and out of my, it got very, very quiet. And I thought, okay, this must be what it feels like to, to die. And so I thought, wow, I feel very, I felt very peaceful in the moment, which also made me feel like, okay, this is, this is a totally different experience. And again, not sure if it was the drugs, the trauma, a mixture of both. Um, and of course, I woke up 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, after they had uh, finished stitching me up. I'm in the room. I hear a bunch of voices around me, uh, kind of all mixed together. Uh, and then this part is just sort of kind of a funny part. I, I think to myself, okay, I'm not dead, which is good. I'm not dead, but I can't see. So I, so I, my husband's right there and he's like, hey, how are you doing? And I said, oh, I, I, I can't see. And he's like, that's because your eyes are closed. So um, the drugs had just sort of delayed my response to that. Uh, luckily, I was not blind uh, from the drug. But um, so, yeah, I woke up. And as soon as I woke up, I found out they had taken my son to the ICU because he had um, some breathing problems when he came out. Um, and oxygen levels were not good. Um, and then spent the next uh, week in the hospital with him. Um, he had to be intubated for the first day. Um, he had an IV put in his belly button. He had an infection in his lungs um, that they needed to give antibiotics for. Um, and all the while, this was during COVID, so um, there was a lot of restrictions. My husband and I couldn't leave the building. Uh, we were never allowed to see my son at the same time uh, in ICU, so we had to go in shifts. So we actually were never all together as a family until a week after uh, he was born, which was also really... Um, kind of wild experience to to have those first moments with my son alone with him um, without my husband uh, and breastfeeding and, and doing all that all all the while recovering from kind of a um, serious surgery and learning how to walk again move again use the restroom um, and then yeah live in a hospital during during COVID for a week so that I'm sure I left out a lot of detail but that's 
my long story. Oh my I, I don't know about you guys, Marion and Christ, Christine, but like my, my heart, Catherine, when you said like you could feel everything, <laughs> I, I, wow, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. Like my, woo. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. We're going to get into the details, into the questions. I think first we'll hear a bit about Christine's experience as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. That was, I, I was a really intense story and something that I'm, I'm sure it, it's so nice to, to hear you being able to talk so openly about it. And I'm, I'm sure it's, it was so hard. My, my heart. <laughs> I got water in my eyes when you were talking about, I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know how I would yeah. do that. <laughs> um, my, my experience is different from Catherine in that, um, for me, it's not the actual birthing process that was difficult. My first pregnancy, I have a, a daughter who's two and three months uh, and a seven week old. Um, so for me, the birthing part was not uh, as traumatic. One was the actual pregnancy that was, and the other one was the postpartum. Um, so my first was, uh, we had a lot of difficulty conceiving. It took 16 months to conceive uh, my first, and we ended up naturally conceiving, but after some intervention, uh, we didn't have to go through IVF or insemination, but I did need a surgery in order to uh, be able to conceive. So that in of itself is a whole other uh, area of like difficulty. And then I had a dream pregnancy, um, no problems at all. didn't have morning sickness, felt great. Uh, my opposite to Catherine, my water broke before I even had a contraction. So naturally, like, like the movies, uh, like the gushing, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is it. Uh, and was admitted right away. And they said, and I delivered at a high risk hospital, even though I wasn't high risk, just because my OB uh, delivered there. So they're very procedural. Um, and we, I asked if I could, they're like, well, we want to start your Pitocin right away. Cause I was 0.5 centimeters and 0% effaced. Oh. And they were concerned that because my water broke, you have 24 hours to get the baby out. And I said, well, can I just walk a little bit? Like I wanted to try to see if I could get this going on my own. Um, they let me walk for over an hour, check me again, no progress whatsoever. So they said, we really think you need Pitocin. So we went right to that. So I was like, okay. So I, the, um, they were very intense right away. The contractions, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's like to labor naturally. Cause even with my second, I didn't get, um, natural contractions either. Uh, so I got the epidural really quickly. And again, I had a dream epidural. I could feel enough that I could say like, oh, there's a contraction coming, but I wasn't in pain. Uh, even during the pushing process, I was like, wow, this is so zen. Like if people are like, who, who says that in there? It was great. Um, although there was no staff to deliver me when I was ready to push. So then they gave me this other medication that froze me so much that I couldn't feel anything. Um, and I had to wait four hours um, to be able to push because my legs were so numb they couldn't, they wouldn't stay in stirrups. I couldn't, like, it was just because I was ready to push at like one in the morning and there was only one um, doctor. I had the resident, but they didn't, the attending wasn't available. So um, we had to wait. Wow. So we waited. Uh, so then when I was ready to push, it was great. 45 minutes. Um, they did say at one point that they might need to, I don't know what the word is in English. It's involved tools, like the suction. Oh yeah. Um, uh, the, yeah. What is that? I don't, I don't know, know actually. I only know it in French. <laughs> Yeah, um, I've heard people refer but, to it as suction, actually. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that we might need it, but then her heart rate heart rate went back up. She came out lovely, um, but my postpartum was awful. Uh, just to give you background, I'm a psychologist, and I didn't realize how bad my postpartum anxiety and post 
I think it was more baby blues than depression, but it was awful. I, uh, I was afraid to leave her side. I was afraid that she would stop breathing on like a dime. Uh, if I wanted to go upstairs, I had like a travel camera that I would put on her if she was asleep in the pack and play. Cause I couldn't do anything without her. Um, my mother came to support me and I would get mad and cry. Cause I'm like, she's only attached to you. She's not attached to me. Uh, and I had no idea. And like, this is my job, uh, how bad it was and how long it lasted. Um, people would ask me like, how's motherhood? And I was just so defeated. I was like, it's awful. Mm. I didn't enjoy um, my early time with my first. I mean, it eventually um, fell away, but then I also became like catastrophizing. I'm like, she's not going to attach to me. She's going to have social issues. And like the, the, the whole, the snowball effect uh, went. And then eventually it settled. I felt a lot better. Um, I think partially because she went to daycare, although I had a panic attack and cried. Uh, for about a week when they called to tell me she had a spot Um, and people thought I was crazy but (laughs) uh, I think that's what's hard too people think you're crazy Mm -hmm. if you want to talk about it people think you're like it's not that bad like Mm -hmm. but it was for me and then it got much better um, and then it was fine and in my second birth um, I at 13 weeks um, noticed that one leg was swollen and I knew that was a little odd. So I called my OB and they said, you need to go to the emergency right away. And I was diagnosed in the emergency room with a blood clot. And then the next day um, they did a scan and saw that I had three clots. So I had uh, deep vein thrombosis, DVT. Um, so I had to wait to see hematology, but I wasn't because of COVID same situation. And I was diagnosed at the ER, not through a hematologist. I was given no support till six weeks later. So I had medication. No one told me I wasn't supposed to eat grapefruits. No one told the, the medication I'm on wasn't one that necessarily means you're not supposed to eat vitamin K. So no one told me not to eat vitamin K. I was eating tons of spinach. I was eating all these things. Two weeks later, I had a physician call me. Things were worse. I couldn't walk. I couldn't sit. I was in so much pain. Uh, and the um, resident was like, basically called me like hysterical and said, just let the medication work. And I was like, I need to speak to your attending because it was a resident who called. And I was like, I need to speak to the attending because you are not going to tell me that I'm crazy if I've been medicated and I can't walk. Um, and I went back in and it was the same technician who did my first scan. So she was like, why are you back? And I was like, because it's worse. And instantaneously she went to my groin and they had moved from below my knee to all the way up to my groin. I was covered in clots because I was eating things that I wasn't supposed to be eating. Um, so then they opted my medication, but at one point I had like, I needed to go in to the emergency again because I had, uh, oh yes, to be seen after the two weeks, I, I went back to the emergency. At one point I thought I had a pulmonary embolism because I was having severe chest pains. Um, and in the ER, um, they were very kind, but you know, it's scary because you're COVID, you're by yourself, you're making decisions for your child that could impact a lot of things I had to have a CT scan. So they're giving you the pros and cons of the different scans and the exposure to um, these scans and how it can impact the baby. I had to have a, I had a heart scan as well. And they're like, okay, but this is how it can affect the baby. And you're making all these decisions by yourself as you're like, am I going to die here? Like what is, what is happening? Um, turned out to be fine. And then I needed to be induced. So I went in at 38 and a half weeks. My first was born exactly on her due date. So they brought me in early because you can't have an epidural um, if you're on the medication that I was on, um, which are anticoagulants. So they brought me in 
I had to wean off. So I'm also now my leg is swelling again because I'm not on the medication that I need to be. But anyways, um, and they started me with Cytotec, which is an oral um, induction medication. Um, I was there during five shift nurse shifts. Oof. Like it was long. That is... Yeah. yeah. Um, so it wasn't working. I had over 24 hours of Cytotec and nothing had moved. I was one centimeter. Maybe I think I went from like 0% of face to 50% of face, but like there was no progress. Um, and in the middle of the night, I needed to go to the washroom, but I was connected to the IV. So the nurse came to disconnect me. I go to the washroom. I come back um, a little bit similarly to Catherine. I come back and the nurse cannot find a heartbeat. Um, and so she's flipping me from side to side, trying to stay calm. I'm looking at my husband being like, but I just got up to pee. Like, that's all I did. I just got up to pee. Like, what, what could I have done? Cause I think it's a lot of like, for me anyways, it was like, what did I do that now there's no heartbeat. Um, and then she could find one, but it was 60 beats a minute and it should be like over 110. So they're flipping me, they're flipping me, they're flipping me. Um, the nurse looks at my husband and says, could you push that button on the wall? And I'm like, why are we pushing a button on the wall? Uh, and then this whole team rushes in uh, to try to stimulate a heart uh, beat again. And I'm like, at this point, bawling. And they're like, you need to stay calm. You need to stay calm. And I'm like, stay calm. Like, you can't find a heartbeat. Or if you find one, it's definitely not strong enough. Um, they eventually did find it again. Similarly, it was seven minutes. But that whole point was just like, I didn't want to move anymore. I was like, I'm, I'm not moving. I'm going to stay on one side. Um, they would come flip me every hour. And similarly, I had the epidural at this point because they had started Pitocin. Uh, no, sorry, that's not true. They kept flipping me anyways, just to like not move. Cause I was like, I'm not moving. <laughs> um, then after over 24 hours, they said, there's no progress. We'll give you the Pitocin, which the contractions came on really quickly. Um, I gave birth at a different hospital for my second one also a high-risk hospital, but less high-risk. So there was a lot more like, do you want the birthing ball? Do you want, how do you want to like, I didn't have that at the first one. It was very procedural. Um, and so eventually it- Can I, can I ask, what, where, where are you located? I meant to ask. I'm in Montreal. <laughs> well, I live in Laval, but Montreal. You're in yes. Montreal. Okay, so you gave birth in Montreal. And Catherine, are you in Quebec? Or are you in the US? No, I'm in Florida. Florida, okay. I think that the differences in the healthcare system is- um, between Canada and the US is something to keep mm -hmm. in mind. I'm sure experiences are quite different. So the, yeah, so they gave me the Pitocin and the contractions came on super strong. And so I had the epidural, uh, it went well. Um, again, I was ready to push, but because I was on side to side, I was not, I, one side was no longer numb. So I was feeling them a lot when, right when I was ready to push. And so they were like, we'll push your little button, but we'll get the uh, anesthesiologist just in case. So I was pushing that button to get the extra, um, that little top up. And then he gave me um, more medication. And then once again, I was too frozen to push. So I had to wait it out, but not as frozen as the last time. Um, and I really in this hospital, I don't know if it was a difference as a hospital or the staff really, but I felt a lot more um, mother centered. Like they asked me, like, how are you feeling at one point there? The doctor said, you know, you're not really, I was in the stirrups, but it wasn't, I couldn't, it wasn't progressing. She's like, let's turn you to your side. Um, they, they were really like, how are you feeling? Okay, you're having a contraction, push now. The only thing they didn't realize is she was she was head first, but face to the ceiling. So it took a lot of time. But for her, the, the difficulty was, I started my anticoagulants again right away. Um, and four days postpartum at home, um, 
I had all those symptoms that they say you must go back to the hospital. I passed two clots the size of an egg. Uh, I was filling a, um, a pad within I it, within the time that I was like, oh, I have these two clots. I should go to the hospital. I wasn't taking my baby because it was COVID. So I was pumping. And in the time I was pumping, I bled through a pad that went through my jeans and onto where I was sitting on my bed and onto my comforter. Wow. So I was like, oh, um, and saying goodbye to my children, I really thought like, I'm never going to see them again. You hear about this in the news that like people hemorrhage and I'm on anticoagulant. So it's not like they can like stop it necessarily. Um, and I was seen really quickly, got great support in the ER. It turned out that um, it was, I guess they thought it wasn't severe enough. And they said it's likely because of my anticoagulants because it had like dissipated at this point. And I was sent home, but I literally said goodbye to my children. Like I was never going to see them again. Mm. Um, and my whole family was there. Like my parents were there. My husband was there. So they were like, this is scary. Like she really thinks there's something wrong. And, and it lasted a bit longer and I had more care afterwards just to make sure. Um, but my postpartum was better. So those are two, yeah. not, I feel like Catherine's is significantly more traumatic. I, I, I don't I, I envy your birthing um, story, but for me, it was more the before and the after mm. that were hard. The actual birth, I mean, I didn't like being at the hospital for four days for the second one, but it is what it is. You know, I think that's why it's important to get more than one person and to get different experiences because I, I don't think it's like more or less, there's an experience that will be traumatic mm. for a person. There's an experience that will, you know, you know, I, I this is why we have to share all these different experiences. and. Um, I, I'm curious to know, especially you know, with Catherine, after all of this happened, there was there any follow up, you know, knowing if the doctors knew what you had experienced, did they follow up with you, especially for your mental health and, and to see like how you were feeling? Was there any of that after your, your birthing experience? So, no, there wasn't. And I, I think partially um, I didn't. At the time, I didn't think I had gone through something mm. traumatic. I, that wasn't really on my radar mm. um, because it was my experience. And I immediately went into, after that, I went into motherhood mode. And I didn't I didn't really dwell on my birth, the labor and de- delivery that much. Um, my focus was, okay, my son is here. Like, I'm... It's 100% I'm going to take care of him and I'm going to, you know, make sure that he is, is healthy. Um, so it really wasn't until um, a month out or two months out where I looked back and I was like, wow. And just when I started talking to people about it, um, I didn't meet many people that had uh, a similar experience as mine. And like Christine said, like, not the same, but I don't think um, birth stories are comparable in that way um, because I do think each one is going to be so unique and so, and it's going to be very much influenced by your personality as well and your tendencies to what what do you take on, you know, what are you headstrong about, um, what are your fears and anxieties, uh, you know, what are they surrounded by? Because, um, like I said at the beginning, I always considered myself like kind of a independent resilient um sort of just steady person and i think i applied that to the situation to be like okay i need to be resilient and headstrong and i need to you know power through this and i need to take it like i would any other you know any challenge that comes to my life where honestly i think and i think i mentioned this to you cindy when we were talking before i honestly think that part of me um contributed to how long i waited to finally 
seek help on my own, which I did. I did about six months after, um, after I had my son, um, I started seeing a therapist, which has helped immensely. But um, honestly, it wasn't until I started talking to other people and other moms and telling my story and seeing the reaction of like, wow, like you went, that's a lot to go through. And I was like, yeah, I, it was a lot to go through, actually. It was really, it, it, did, it did sort of shape my, um, my view on, on birth and hospitals and just what labor really is like. And honestly, I have friends who, um, yeah, they don't even experience that natural part of the labor for whatever reason, for, you know, their choice or not. Uh, and just knowing that, um, basically you, you don't have to, you don't have to stuff it all down afterwards. Feel like, like this whole conversation is about feel like you're alone or feel like you can't share because honestly, the best thing for me has been sharing the story, um, with people that I meet, people I know of birth, like kind of just taking that initiative and being like, Hey, how was your birth? Like, what was your experience like? Um, and it's, it's always a different story. Um, and I do feel a little bit of, and I don't know if Christine feels this way or other, other moms, but with a traumatic experience, um, I do feel almost guilty in a way to bringing this up to some people when they say, when I say, how was your birth? It's, it was great. It was, it was pretty easy, you know, like labor was good. Delivery was fast, you know, and I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, okay, totally not my experience. And I kind of pause and feel like, should I share this story with should I share my story with them? Um, because mm-hmm. will it make me seem like a sob story? Will it make me seem like you know that um, I'm complaining or that you know I just should be thankful that my son came out and he's ultimately healthy uh, and everything's fine? Which is, is a very it's a positive you know it, you know ending to the story is that your child. Some people do not have that um, you know. Um, you know, a blessing to have their kids come out on the other side being fine mm-hmm. and healthy. Um, so there's that, there's that feeling for me. There's a stigma of like, everything was fine. Like everything turned out fine. You're okay. You're healed. Your son's okay. He's good. He's healthy. Um, when in reality, that experience that I had really did kind of affect my, um, mm-hmm. my mental health. Uh, um, one thing I noticed in common between both your stories is that you didn't really know you were in it sort of thing, right? So with Christine, you spoke about the, the anxiety after your first birth and that you even as somebody who works in the field didn't realize how severe it was. And then with Catherine, what's interesting is you just kind of said at the beginning of, of this part that you gave birth and then, you know, life continues and you take care of your baby and you don't realize until you start talking about it that yes this experience was indeed traumatic that mental health aspect i um i had um a small experience with that um, with my second pregnancy where i went into like uh, over like a, a burnout and it was just like crying every day not even realizing and i studied mental health for for my phd and just didn't realize i was like oh, okay it's gonna pass and that sort of thought of like it'll just pass or not even realizing how bad something is i'd love to hear from from both of you like at what point did you realize i I saw catherine i know you said when you were starting to talk to people about it um christine with yourself with the anxiety after your first delivery what at what point did you realize you needed to get help for this i actually didn't until i had my second child 
realize how bad it was. Um, I, I'm a talker. So like when people, and I had, I think my, I was such in a dark place that when people ask like, how is motherhood? And I, like said, I'd be like, it's awful. It's, I really didn't enjoy those first months at all. I mean, I enjoyed, I thought I loved my baby, but even if like, I'd say the first month I was like, do I love my baby? Like, am I connected to her? Because it was so stressful and difficult. And similarly to Catherine in a different vein, I felt bad talking about the postpartum because I had such an easy birth and delivery comparatively. And I had friends who had more difficult, um, you know, more traumatic in the birthing aspect. I felt bad complaining about motherhood, right? And and, and being like, well, uh, yeah, like mine was easy, but now I'm struggling now. And I, I found it hard when people are like, oh, like, they eat well, they sleep well, my baby had reflux, my baby had uh, colic, my baby had um, wasn't a sleeper. And so I was like burning the candle at both ends. And I felt bad sharing that experience and only realized that people would, would kind of reflect like, oh, wow, you're being really candid. And I was like, should I not be candid? Is that not what we're supposed to do? So then I just, with my close friends, I would talk about it. But with other people who asked, I'd be like, oh, it's good. Like kind of just give the typical answer. Um, but yeah, it only when I had my second, and I know it's different when you have a second because people are like, oh, you're calmer because it's your second, like you're, you're more confident because it's your second. And I was like, no, it, it, it was qualitatively different. Like my close family, my mother, my mother-in-law who supported me a lot in my first um, postpartum experience were like in a positive way, just shocked because I had lined them up for support. I knew it was bad for me the first time and I'd lined them up and people were like, people have two kids, you're stressing. And I was like, you don't understand how bad it was for me with the first, like I am setting up my, my support system um, to help me. And then they were like, you're a different person. You're, and I didn't have, and I really do feel it was hormonal and, and, and just a lack of coping. Um, and this time I'm not afraid to step away from her. I don't, the second she cries, I'm not like, oh, I have to pick her up. You know, it's like, it's okay. Like, I'll be right there. Like, don't like, I'll talk to her through it, but I don't have to run there. Um, and I, and I felt bad talking about that because again, I comparatively to the other birth stories I had heard, mine was great. And I was like, how can I complain that I'm struggling as a parent? And, and um, yeah, so it was when I had my second that I realized that I was like, oh, that was really bad. And I, then I felt bad because I'm like, I work in this field. How did I not know? <laughs> Within your, both of your support groups or your friends and your, your circles of friends, what was missing in terms of conversations or that kind of support that you might have needed right after all of this happened? So Christine, with you, with the, the postpartum experience and, and with Catherine, because of your, your delivery, what was missing from your, your environment? If anything, like, should somebody... Because I'm, I'm thinking also now the other end where people are listening and it's either somebody who's experienced something similar or somebody who might know someone. And and sometimes I think we don't know what to say or we don't know how to support them, right? Um, like Catherine, you mentioned like being not afraid but not wanting to share the whole experience. And and obviously the experience, I I, I mean, hearing your story, like literally like it, 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 it's my heart like <laughs> dropped hearing that experience. And as a, somebody who's around you know or, or trying to support their friend who went through this what can can we do to help for me I think when I um right after I had my son and I shared this story with people um I found that a few of the responses I got were wow you're so strong 
um, it's so good that you're, you know, Theo, uh, my son is going to, you know, he's going to be fine. And I remember feeling when I read those, wow, you're so strong, feeling like it was pressure for me to mm. kind of be strong, mm. to not to be like, okay, like, I guess I can make, I can make it through this, you know, like, of course, there's moms who have been through much worse than my experience. And like I mentioned before, there are moms who do not see their child on the other end. Um, and so there was that guilt of being like, this could be worse. And um, I think for me, I, I'd never felt like I was wrong by the medical system or the medical, you know, team that I had. Um, I never felt bullied into anything. I never felt like uh, I didn't have a choice in the situation. Uh, but I do feel like on the other side, when you come out on the other side, um, having somebody there, whether it's professional or um, social in your social uh, setting, um, to say, just really reach out and be like, hey, if you're struggling, it's okay. You know, if you're struggling, um, like, I'm here to talk about it. And the only way I know that I can make a difference in that is seeing my friends who are pregnant or having babies, not ultimately being like, hey, how's it going? Are you like so over the moon to meet your child? Are you, you know, you know, that that part's over. Are you having a great time? Um, but being being that person that can say, hey, is it is it hard for you? Because, you know, you can talk about it like if it's hard. And I have found some people in my social circles um, just recently who have new babies um, who I've been able to be way more open with them and who've kind of been like, oh, that's a sigh of relief to hear that that was your experience, you know, um, postpartum and that you were struggling with your partner or that you didn't have a connection with the baby when you saw him. Like Christine said, I didn't have a connection. I looked at my baby in the ICU and I thought, I, I don't know who this is. <laughs> I don't feel any sort of connection. Um, and I felt like that something was wrong with me. Um, so really just communicating with people and getting our sort of stories out and just personally finding someone to reach out to um, that you can be honest with. And maybe giving talking a little bit more about the connection part because Christine you did mention that when your mom was around you were kind of worried that your baby was connecting more strongly with your mom I think you had mentioned at the beginning and now Catherine especially with your with your experience and even at the hospital mentioning that lack of connection um how did you guys go about that how did you try to build a bond or um what was the journey for you um, for me, I, 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 my mom and I talked about it after I was, I was apparently quite mean to my mom, um, <laughs> because I was like, felt like she was doing it on purpose, right? Like it was like, it was her, not me. Um, and I, and I couldn't take that perspective in the moment. Like my mom loves to wear striped clothing. And so there was like three days in a row that she wore like dark stripes with a white. And I was like, you're doing it on purpose. So she looks at you because babies look at contrast. Like that's where I was at. And my mom was like, would you like to hold her? But then I didn't want to hold her. So it was like a, a weird, um, a weird thing for me. We, we spoke about it after in the moment. I, 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 um, in the moment, I don't know. I look back, I, but hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Like I realized, like, I wish someone was like, you need help. It shouldn't be this difficult, but I think people tiptoed around me too, because it was so hard and I was having such a hard time. Uh, coping. Um, 
that I think if anybody had told me like Christine, like maybe your, your, your experience is not, um, it shouldn't be this difficult and in a validating way, not in a judgment way. And I think that's one thing that I think uh, Catherine pointed out that like, it's nice to have people who either that I can now validate or who validated me about like, yeah, it is hard and it's, and it's okay that it's hard. Um, and it's not perfect all the time. Um, and so, but my mom kept coming back and she came for six weeks because I just every single day for six weeks, she would get there before eight o'clock and leave at three. Cause she was like, well, you do need some alone time with your partner to, <laughs> you know, bond and me not just be here. Um, but it was, I, I, I don't, I don't remember your question, but I remember my initial answer was I was mad at my, I would get mad at my mom because I blamed yeah. her. I blamed her for not bonding with my baby. It wasn't a me issue. It was, well, she's taking too much of my baby's attention and that's right. why. Um, and really it wasn't, I, I didn't feel I was happy when she was in the arms of other people. And I say that now and I'm like, well, oh, that sounds so harsh. But when other people are like, oh, and I'm like, it's okay. Like that, I, I, I was really at a point where I just wanted other people to hold her. It, it was a relief to me to not have to do it. Now I say that with my other one and I'm like, I, I, I don't have that feeling. And I'm like, oh, um, and people in my close entourage, like my parents or my in-laws comment, like you seem much more connected more quickly to this baby than you did with your first. And I can say it now and be like, that's because I am. Um, or at least I feel that way now because I can see that I, I just didn't, I had it was easier for other people to take care of her because I didn't have that connection at all. How did you build that connection with the first, with your first child? Was it time eventually or yeah? Time over time. When I think, um, like I said, I, I definitely had significant, uh, postpartum anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. now that I look at it, I would even say debilitating because I was not functional. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I also had baby blues where I was crying constantly. Anything would set me off. Um, but when that dissipated the baby blues, I was still quite anxious, but I think I, I was able to uh, at least take a little, like, I wouldn't take a shower if my husband wasn't home. Um, mm. and if, if I did take one, I would have a chair right in front of the shower so that I could see her the whole time. Like that is how I could not separate. Now I can put a baby, like put her in her crib with a baby monitor and able to like separate and, and, and realize like that was really intense that I couldn't. I was so afraid of all those things. Um, I went off topic on that answer, but no, it, it was just it, with time. It, yeah. I think with time, yeah. my anxiety dissipated. Um, and, and then COVID hit and then I had a whole other anxiety. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think it's important that we do talk about that anxiety part as well, because we talk about postpartum depression, but the anxiety is something that we don't realize. I received an email from a parent once and she said, you know, I have a, a four week old baby and is it normal that I'm not sleeping? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? Right? Is your baby waking up very often or are you not sleeping because you're busy like looking at the baby or something to that effect? And she said, yeah, I, I can't sleep because I just keep monitoring her breathing. And then I realized, okay, this is something more, you know? And so it's it's important that we do talk about that because like you said, like the monitoring everything and not being able to function, it's not, it shouldn't be that way. And if only we would tell our friends or somebody that we know, like this shouldn't be the way that it is, you know, you should be able to um, function. Um, and then maybe that person will seek help. Um, Catherine, I'd love to hear your experience as well now in terms of attachment that you felt from the beginning because of that distance that was created from the, at the hospital right away, how did you build your attachment with your baby? So since 
uh, he was in the ICU for a week. I felt like he had seven moms mm-hmm. during that week. <laughs> I really felt like I was sort of on the outskirts because um, that very, the first 48 hours, they, there was literally four uh, ICU nurses around his bed the entire time. So I would, the first time I actually met him, I was in a wheelchair after my surgery. I came up um, and they, as soon as I, I turned the corner to see him, someone said, she can't be here because um, they were about to put an IV in his belly button. They didn't want me to see it. And so I broke down crying right in the chair. Like I had just given birth. Um, I didn't even really see his face. And the doctor comes over and kneels down to me and she actually was very, very sympathetic to my situation, uh, kind of aware of where I was at mentally, um, which was nice. She came down to my level. She said, I know this is really hard. This is, she explained exactly what was happening with my son. Um, but we really don't want you to be here because, uh, you know, we don't want you to see what we're about to do. Um, <clears throat> so they wheeled me back down to my husband. Uh, and there I just burst into tears with him. We both cried together about it, just not knowing the, you know, what was going to be around the corner for my son um, and his health life. Um, so no chance to attach at that first meeting at all. Um, they said, try to get some sleep. Uh, we got a knock on the door about four in the morning. It was his um, ICU doctor coming in. He said, this can't be good <laughs> that someone's waking us up to come in and talk to us. That was when they told him, told us they had intubated him um, and he was having trouble breathing um, and that everything else looked good, but this was the direction that they had to go. So it wasn't until that morning I was able to go in and see him. I wasn't able allowed to hold him um, for the first 24 hours because he had so many uh, tubes and wires attached to him and he had his uh, belly button IV. Um, so again, no chance to attach. And also just from my experience, I, I didn't hold him after the birth. I passed out. Mm. Um, there was no golden hour that some people mm. talk about. There was no the first breastfeeding. Um, and so, yeah, they said that he was on IV and he would be okay without breast milk for the first 48 hours. Luckily by 48 hours in, they said, okay, we're going to take out his uh, IV and you're able to breastfeed him. Uh, so I did breastfeed him that, that day and not an immediate attachment at all. Again, it sort of seemed like this foreign mm-hmm. thing that other people were taking care of that now was like, okay, here you go. Like, let's sustain his life now. Um, and that whole week I was basically pumping for bottles for him and coming in and breastfeeding during the day, pumping bottles for the evening so the nurses could him. And I had, again, a uh, kind of extreme guilt as a mom that I was right off the right out of the gate failing um, because I couldn't provide everything for him that he needed. I wasn't able to, you know, hold him as much as I wanted to. Um, they're like, you have to go home and get some sleep. I felt guilty about that. Um, leaving, you know, the hospital, going home, sleeping for maybe four hours, getting up, pumping during that, coming back in the morning. Um, so I don't think it was until, um, definitely not as long as Christine's, but I would say when we brought him home and we were finally able to be together as a family, um, and I was able to hold him for more than an hour at a time, um, that, that started. But I also feel like I was on sort of, my experience was I was on sort of this adrenaline high, 
the first, uh, I would say the first few weeks of just this um, survival mode. Uh, and I don't think I really gave myself a time to stop and think about my experience, like I said before, about the traumatic birth and about attaching with my son. And I feel like it was just all about making sure he's breathing, making sure he's eating, making sure he has a clean diaper. It was sort of just like this um, schedule that I felt like I had. And so it did take a while. And I really do. <clears throat> I really did feel like alone in that experience when I first saw him in those first few days where I felt like, I don't know who this is. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I'm supposed to, you know, how do I start loving this, um, you know, little person um, when there's all these factors involved and I don't feel, I, I don't feel myself after that surgery and I mentally don't feel, you know, at um, 100%. I'm, um, I'm curious to know the experience of your spouses, given what you guys um, went through. Um, a few people asked some questions about, you know, what it looked like, and, you know, for, for their experience and how they supported you. Um, what con- kind of conversations did you have with them through these moments? Um, and I think I'd like to ask that final question. And then there are a few questions from parents I wanted to answer with you guys. Um, but yeah, for, for both of you, what sort of conversations did you have with your spouse? You know, what was their experience with all this? Um, my spouse picked it up, uh, stepped up with my first one with the uh, anxiety um, and did a lot. And it's funny because after my friend, a lot of my friends are like, wow, your, your, your husband did a lot, does a lot. And then I felt guilty that he done like, is he doing too much? Like, should I be doing more? <laughs> um, to, to me, it felt balanced, but he, he did in the early stages because I just, I wasn't able to do it. He's, I think my first child, I think I've given her maybe 10 baths. Cause I was so petrified of like, not that there was a lot of water, but like drowning or dropping her or hurting her. And, and so he, he stepped up with that from day one. Uh, he did most of the, um, once we got into a routine, he did most of the sleeping. Cause I was so petrified of putting her to bed um, and those things. So he really stepped up in that one with my second one. Um, he was very stressed and very traumatized with all the ER visits and all the, um, medication and then afterwards too that he said like in our discussions that's why I said um, before we were recording that we even if we wanted a third after this last pregnancy and postpartum we, we wouldn't because he was like I, I can't go through that he, for him he could he could voice it he's like I can't go through that again I can't go through all these ER visits and all these injections I mean I'm still on my medication now I've had over 400 injections of medication and um, I didn't mention it. I also then had diabetes with this one. So then there was the finger pricking and the diet restrictions and all those things. Um, And the diet restrictions that come with a DVT, which I still have, which hasn't gone away. Um, So we, we were open. He stepped up with the first one and the second one said like, this was way too stressful. Uh, He's like, I I don't fear for me too. Cause he could see like how it was hard. Um, in, in all the medical procedures and, and there, and I, and I can acknowledge that, you know, like Catherine was saying too, you, you hear other people's stories and other, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who was giving me support. And then I asked like, how were your pregnancies? And hers, I feel were so much more complicated. Um, and 
she mentioned, she's like, no, that's your journey. And you, you are comparing it to a very easy pregnancy the first time to a, a one with significantly more challenges for her. She said all her pregnancies were challenging in unique ways. Um, so she's like, she doesn't know what it's like to have an easy pregnancy. So to her, that was her experience, uh, which was really validating because then I felt so guilty sharing my, what was complicated to me, which was less complicated to, for her. Um, but she was quite validating in that, like, no, that's your experience. And so this time he, he mentioned um, that he, it was too stressful. Like he's like, I can't see you go through that again. And he was supportive through this pregnancy. He's like, I was making decisions to protect the baby. And he's like, there is no baby if you're not here. So you like, he's like, I want this child and I want to have a family with you, but I won't have a family with you if you're not here to have that family with. And um, the, the odds of it happening again, well, I still have an active DVT. So um, until it goes away, if, if we were to have a third child, it would be, I would be on medication from day one and the same kind of thing. And the risks go up and, you know, postpartum hemorrhaging goes up for you they tried to avoid a c-section at all costs because clotting is higher if you have a c-section or the risks of clotting is higher so he was just like i i i want i'm happy with our little family of four and and so that that's where that's how we communicated but he yeah stepped it up the first time for sure because i was just not and very grateful because she's very bonded to her father she's still bonded to me but she's a very much a little daddy's girl a little girl uh, and i think partially because i i it just i wasn't able to do it so kind of similar to Christine, um, my husband did step up a lot too um, after the birth. He was, um, like I said, he was in the hospital with me. Those, I think we were there for five days. Um, probably the most emotional I've seen my husband through all of that. Not not surprising at all. We were both very much in that sort of state of um, just worrying about our son, if he was going to be okay. Um, Initially, right after, I, I said, never again, never, ever, ever doing that again. And he said, great, that sounds like a good idea. Um, but from what we went through. Um, and taking him home, again, like very supportive. He did, he helped out with, you know, the night feedings. He helped out, uh, you know, change diapers. He was, he was very much present there, um, which I feel really lucky to have that um, in a partner. Um, but also, um, I feel like he felt a little helpless in some ways of knowing how to meet uh, the needs of our son, especially when he was really little. Um, I think breastfeeding had a little bit to do with that. Um, he couldn't provide that. Um, so we did do bottles at night, but we didn't do it during the day. So um, he just saw that there was a different, different emotional connection, physical connection between me and my son that he couldn't provide. Um, and I think he felt a little helpless and, you know, tried to uh, do things in different areas to make up for it. Um, and like I said before, um, I think my personality had a lot to do with the hard times that we had because um, I'm not one to speak up and ask for things. And I'm very much like, oh, this, you know, he should know what I need right now. Like, he should know what I'm thinking. Why, why doesn't he know that? Like, why does he know that I don't want to get up again and go take care of him? Like, he can comfort him. Um, I never asked. Like, I never, I just held resentment. Um, and I think that's a lot of people's experiences. So, like I said, not until six months after I finally um, sought help, found a, a 
counselor, a mental health counselor. And she was, it was very, very helpful. She was just like, hey, you, you have a lot. There's a lot going on. There's many, many things that are on your plate. Um, and it is okay to ask for help, which for me was never, ever my style in life. Um, I was always, I will do, I'll, I'll do it all. I'll take it all on. Um, I can do it. Um, and sort of like having pride in that, that I can do that sort of thing. But, um, I finally, you know, learned about boundaries, learned about, you know, asking for help, making time for myself was a big one. I really lost all sense of self in the first six months. Um, all the things I love to do, working out, just seeing friends. Um, I lost yeah, go ahead, uh, thinking that that was important and thinking that the only thing that was important was raising my son um, and being there for him at all times, all the time. Uh, COVID didn't make it any easier because we really weren't seeing anybody. Um, I didn't have my mom over all the time, even though she lived 10 minutes away. Like, um, So I was very much alone with my husband who was trying to do the best that he could. He really was trying to do the best that he could. Um, with me over here who's, you know, not voicing my real needs, um, maybe the things that um, were more important in the time. So um, with that, I think my partner has seen a, a, a difference um, that I can say what I need and we can delegate things much easier now um, of who does what and just knowing like, hey, this is important. For me that this gets done that not so much um and yeah i think also just the um self-care aspect too has been huge for me and it's been a positive aspect for my marriage as well because ultimately i'm taking care of myself and i am a better person for my husband and my child mm-hmm. if i do that was he in the operating room when you had your c-section because i because of COVID, yeah. Yeah. Does he ever talk about that moment, seeing you in pain, knowing that you're feeling it, and then even passing out? Yes, he does. He, he's, I've heard him talk to people about it many times, his experience, um, just what I looked like on the table, mm-hmm. um, sort of how my eyes were rolling around in my head, screaming the entire time. Um, so I cannot imagine at all what that was like on that side. To be standing there and knowing that, like you know, all you can do is hold hold my hand, and just and when um, he said when they rolled me into the OR, he he seriously thought like that that was the last time he was gonna see me and or and not not meet his son. He mm-hmm. thought I really thought that was the last time I was gonna see you alive, and that you know they were gonna pull out our son and he wouldn't be alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> I think he he had his own. He had his own experience, totally separate from mine. And we really didn't talk about that in depth after it. We cried, we did cry together and we did, you know, grieve together that, you know, everything was really hard in the moment and it, we were all we wanted was our son to come home. But I don't think we individually kind of laid out what we went through and how that affected us. Okay. Thank you. Thank you both again for sharing your stories. I have a parent here who asks, you know, I have a birth trauma and can find any resources. Um, what what sort of resources did you guys use? Was there anything or any blog or any book or something that helped you out? Um, 
for me, I do know that um, when I was pregnant, they gave me literature on things like baby blues and a lot of just postpartum um, resources that I did not look at and did not consider <laughs> until because thinking, I, I think you think that that might not, that won't happen to me. Um, or you just don't know because you haven't had a child yet. Um, and I do think that from my experience medically, like with my doctor, there was a lack of follow-up in the um, mental health side of it. There was very much, you know, making sure your body's okay, that's recovering from your C-section, um, that the baby's healthy, how is breastfeeding going? There's all those questions. But um, personally, I didn't have uh, anyone in the professional setting ask me, you know, how are you doing? Like, are you okay? Um, and I, it wasn't until I um, sought out um, help on my own, um, realizing that my experience was traumatic and I could probably, you know, find someone to help me through it. Another parent asked, how did you make peace with what happened? How do you let the guilt go? Um, I, I, I do feel bad. I do, I do realize that I look at my second daughter and I say like, wow, this is, I feel so much more connected to you. And I didn't have that uh, with your sister, like, even though like I do talk to her, like she can talk back to me. <laughs> um, but I, I think I, I kind of, I, I also, it's been two, it's been over two years now. Right. So I I'm at a place now where I can say like, that was my experience. Um, and I look at the connection that we have now. And I see that like children are resilient. Um, and I'm also very, uh, aware that there were other people that she connected to when I wasn't available to connect with. And I think that's, that's something that's important. And I, I did feel guilty. Like I, I, I don't know if it's guilt. I, feel, I felt maybe it is guilt. I felt bad. I feel bad. I feel bad that I couldn't be the parent that I thought I should be or would be um, in those early stages. But now I can see that, you know, she's, she's, she's okay. And she, we do have a connection and uh, it, it did establish itself that you know, it's not a straight line. Parenthood is not a straight line. Our child, our children's development isn't a straight line. Uh, there's ups and downs. There's, um, um, you know, there's, there's moments where I look now and I even say I help parents in their child development is my job. And I look at mine and sometimes I'm like, I'm not doing the advice that I give my parents whatsoever. And it's given me a better actually appreciation for parenthood. Like, I think, I had the knowledge and the skill base to help parents before I had a child. And now there's like a more empathic um, side to it too, right? To know that like, yeah, that's really hard that, you know, I created a little, sometimes I created a little monster <laughs> in the, in the bad behavior, certain things, but, um, but no, I, I think I, I, I see now that like, I'm just appreciating the moments that we have. Uh, and, and I still managed to like make a point to steal little moments with her alone. Uh, even though we have another one now while someone else is with the little one to like have those uh, to consciously be like no he, we still have those little moments uh I actually cried when we left for the hospital because I was induced it was you know I had an appointment so I knew when I was going in for the second and I cried and my husband was like why are you crying like not in a negative not in a judgmental way but like why are you crying and I was like because her life is going to really change and she has no idea or no say in it right and so I kind of felt bad in that way um but she's, she was, she's a lot more resilient, I think, than I am. So 
I think, yeah, I'm just trying to live. Yeah. I try to live in the little moments now, you know, like cherish the moment and I can't change what the past was, but I can make a conscious effort going forward. The last question is from a parent asking, um, I guess for, for Catherine, did you ever have any flashbacks? Yes. Yes. I definitely, uh, had a lot of dreams, um, of it happening again. Um, and so I mentioned earlier that right after it happened, I said, never again, like I'll never, ever do that again, but your body doesn't remember pain. Um, really like the memory of pain, um, I feel like is very distant. And so it was when I, when I did have those flashbacks, that wasn't part of it because obviously my body's not experiencing that pain in the moment. Um, and I, I felt, you know, more and more far removed from the situation. Um, and I don't, I don't know if the flashbacks were a, a negative or positive thing. I do remember in the first couple of weeks, just breaking down, crying, thinking about the, the, um, those two days of labor and delivery, uh, just sitting there breastfeeding my son, sobbing <laughs> and say my husband being like, what's wrong? And I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking about that. And, um, and I remember being, it feeling very, very overwhelming. Um, but like I said, the farther, uh, I got from it, the more removed I felt from it. And I do want a second child, surprisingly. Uh, I do think we will try for another one. Um, but I, they were definitely there for sure. I had said that's been so nice listening to both of you share your story and it brings up so many <laughs> thoughts and I could have this conversation forever but I guess what I was thinking is when when you speak to 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 other parents or parents to be who might be listening and is there anything any advice you would give them some expectations that you just felt like you had that you wanted to to shake at some point that you would tell someone who's either just pregnant or is expecting their second or something like like that. I know for me, um, something that I, I, that I think Catherine, you brought up, they ask you at the hospital, are you, are, are you okay? How are you doing? And I think our reaction as mothers or as, as people is always like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like it could be a lot worse, but I think we've talked, Cindy and I have talked about this before, this idea that it's okay to actually think about that question for a second. Are you, how are you doing? Like what, how, don't just answer yes, I'm fine. <laughs> because it's really normal to have something going on and to, to open these conversations. I think it's so important that people hear like, yeah, I'm doing okay. Okay, you're doing okay. This is my experience. And they're like, oh yeah, I had that experience too. And it kind of opens up the conversation. For me, it would be to ask an open-ended question, right? Because I think, are you okay? It's like, you feel, I felt like I was like, yeah, I'm good. And when I shared that I wasn't okay, people had such a like, oh, uh, wow, that's really honest. Or like, oh, really? Mm -hmm. And so I think it'd be like, and now I try to ask people like, how are you doing? And and how is it going? And and how, just kind of like to ask and, and to be supportive and validating. Um, I had a colleague who had a, um, a, a very preterm baby uh, went into labor at uh, 30 in the third, like 31 weeks, I think. Uh, and just after that, just being like, how can I support you? You know, or, 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 or to, to tell people it's okay to ask for help. I think I, I didn't realize how bad my postpartum was um, until, and it, I know it's relative, but 
now I see the contrasting difference um, of like, oh, I wish I had asked for some support. When I got my diagnosis, I was saying earlier, when I got the diagnosis of DVT and I was like left alone for six weeks before someone called me and told me what I was supposed to do and not do, uh, I eventually did um, speak to a therapist because, you know, you're in the ER and they're like, don't floss your teeth because you could bleed. And then if it bleeds for more than 10 minutes, you have to come to the ER because if we can't stop the bleeding, you're going to die. And that's all I heard was all like, but you'll die. So like, I didn't, like, you don't, don't hit yourself. Cause if you bruise and it doesn't coagulate, well, you could die. And like, that's all I left with from the ER is this like idea that I could die. Um, and so I, I did speak to a therapist because I was like, that's a lot to hold on to. And it, it, and it, and it was my interpretation. The nurses were very kind and the doctors were kind, but that's what I heard as a message. And I think, um, I would tell parents that like, it's okay to ask for help. Uh, and if you're not in an area where you can have like a, a mental health professional help you, or if you're not in a position to be able to afford that um, support, to, to it's okay to turn to friends and say like, and, and to be direct and, and to say like, I'm not asking for suggestions. I'm not asking for help. I'm asking for an ear. Cause that's what I thought was hard too, is when people are like, well, maybe you could do this. And I'm like, I'm not really asking for the, the a suggestion. I just need someone to listen. Um, and, and to, 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 to feel like it's okay to, and to say that outright, I don't need the suggestions. I just need someone to listen because I'm having a hard right. time. And sometimes it takes some trial and error to find your person who yeah. will listen and that you feel like you're getting that, the right feedback, because it might be not be your mother, or it might not be your, your sister or best friend who you thought that that would be who you would turn to. It could be the, the person, yeah. the colleague at work who shared a similar experience or someone online or, you know, you have to keep an open mind and not feel guilty about that mm-hmm. either. Thank you both for, for taking the time today to chat with me and, and Marion and everybody who's listening. Um, I'm, I'm sure that your experience and your journey is going to help somebody else out there. Um, and I really do appreciate that you shared it with us. Thanks. Thank you. It was nice to meet you all. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of our new series called Am I the Only One? Please leave a rating and a review on iTunes and you can follow Curious Neuron on Instagram at Curious underscore Neuron or the Curious Neuron podcast at Curious Neuron podcast. If you'd like to access the research articles I mentioned at the beginning or read a summary, you could visit our website at CuriousNeuron.com and click on episode 35. I would like to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute at the Neuro for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. They are the first health sciences institution in the world to commit to open science, an approach to research that ensures scientific knowledge is shared widely and transparently. I appreciate that you are supporting the Curious Neuron podcast and helping us share the science. And to all of you listening to the Curious Neuron podcast, thank you. I look forward to speaking to you again in two weeks. Bye.